since I rebooted uh, a couple months ago, I average about 60 views per video. Okay, we're uh, recording. Oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Bevan um, Boychuk. Hi. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, like, YouTube's such a weird beast. Like, it's so hard to get going on it because there's so much out there. And you whatever is getting attention, YouTube just puts to the top. So, like, on a recommended video, you'll just get, like, whatever the next thing is based on its its value because youtube makes money off the ads right yeah so whatever's getting attention is what they're gonna push to the top it's strange because xander made like stop motion videos for a while yeah and then he got featured somehow i don't know how or whatever and then all of a sudden because it was like we would share it with friends and family right so it'd be like 10 views 12 views and all of a sudden it spiked into the hundreds right and he has his own phone and everything so he gets his own notifications and everything i think and it was like yeah you we featured you so he got like people commenting oh, but yeah. he got then like the good and the bad comments like right. some other kids that are his age were like hey that's awesome you've earned a sub right and so he started getting subs and yeah. but then all of a sudden it's like i just need one ear here um He'd also get the negative too, like, oh, this looks low budget or whatever, and it would hurt his feelings because he's right. still like eight or nine at the time when he sure. did it. So then he kind of like got a little bit of success, saw that there's good and bad out of it, and it just kind of petered off, right? Right, so fair like, enough. It's was... unfortunate for that to happen at such a young age. Yeah. Like you want to kind of like bolster that creative side of it, but when he's getting negative feedback right away, it's, it's really tough. And like whether the the feedback is warranted or not, I obviously can't say, but yeah, it's tough to to get those those few negative comments when you're getting all the good feedback too. Yeah, and they took the time to like feature him, so then he got all these new eyes, right? right. And like he got a lot of there was way more positive than negative when I look at it, right? But still, and then he made a few more, and it was like super cool because like his phone got an app to make stop motion, right? So you would like it would do it for you like you'd take a picture and then move a little bit and then take a picture and move a little bit um cat's upset (laughs) um yeah and it like did all the work for you and like i think it was lego that even made it because it would like keep a very light image of what everything was before so you could line it up properly and just kind of see like to move things little bits and you would use crumpled paper for smoke and like it did a good job right it's just like you said it sucks like with every like there's going to be people who just want to give negative feedback right, yeah. right like i don't know how much positive to negative you get on yours like um i mean like every i don't get a whole lot of comments and maybe that's just because i don't really encourage the comments because you'll see some youtubers who will say yeah comment below your favorite whatever thing related to this topic i talked about today and i don't really do that um so i mean the most comments i'll get are people who i'm familiar with trying to like engage a little bit more which is awesome every once in a while like i posted one statue review and the guy was like oh this video sucks it's 10 percent you being a dick 20 percent your stupid shirt five percent the actual statue blah 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 i was like thanks for the feedback i'll keep that in mind next time i won't wear a shirt you jerk (laughs) see and that's the thing like i told him i'm like you know there's an option to turn comments off but you also if you want to be Engage, like you right, said, yeah. a lot of people will finish their entire blurb always with like, "Don't forget to hit like, subscribe, leave a comment in the comment section." Right? Yeah. Um, I know he really enjoys a guy called Matthias, and the guy literally just buys like Chinese knickknacks, right? Yeah, and then reviews them after he gets them, right? Sure. But like, he's like, "Hey, for the first thirty minutes after a video goes up, I'll personally respond," and it's like, 
So that's one good way because the guy probably has millions of viewers now, right? right yeah. Just based out of like getting back to people right away. So and that's the thing too is like the more activity your video gets, comments, likes, subscriptions, shares, uh, like that all goes into the analytics of YouTube, and then YouTube takes that and puts you into places, right? Hmm. So I mean, the more activity you can get on a on a video, the better it is. It's like on Facebook, and you have a Facebook page, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like. The more posts are interacted with, more people who comment or like it or share it, the more people who, who view it. Because I remember when we had a podcast, uh, Geek City, we I ran the page for it. And I would like post that week's episode like every two days. So the first time I posted, uh, it would get the comments and the likes and the shares, and it would reach whatever, 400 people out of our 700 uh, likes on the page. But then the next time I would share it, it would only get only be seen by 50 people and then the third time 12 people um. so I mean like analytics on these social media sites are so weird um, and I posted a, I, I tweeted something the other day that just like blew up it, I, uh, I quote replied something and it was like post an unpopular wrestling opinion and I said Roman, I Rain, Roman Reigns is one of the best pro wrestlers on the planet right now and like I, that was probably a week ago I'm at like 56 likes and 26 shares now because people retweet it and other people like it and it just like build and build and build. And this is like by far my most whatever interacted with tweet ever. I am lucky if I get like three likes on something usually. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, yeah, I kind of like you said with the Facebook analytics, like that's a good idea. I'm going to have to because I I don't know I feel like I'm pestering my friends also because like I'll put it on my page for the podcast right but then I'll immediately share it on my personal one and I feel like if I do anything above and beyond that after that point about a certain episode right I feel like I'm harassing people so like right and that's fair and I started doing that too uh, with the reboot of the YouTube channel um, I'll just I'll just share it like the same day it's uploaded and then that's it um, I haven't I only double posted one video because it was reaching 100 likes so I was like hey just kind of push me over the top for the top for this one guys and we got a couple more views but for the most part I mean if you share it once the majority of your friends list is going to see it but if you have a uh, a page I mean content is is what's going to drive the audience right the more you can post that people interact with the more people that will see your stuff hmm. it's interesting how that works um, do you know anything about how they the criteria for being demonetized for YouTube, you mean? Yeah. Oh, I, it's changed a whole bunch. Now you have to have like a certain number of subscribers. Before uh, you'll make money? Yeah. Like mm. they changed the rules. Uh, so before it was like, if you have 100 subscribers, you can apply for monetization. So I hit that. And the only video that like made money. And when I say made money, I made, made like 79 cents in terms of like ads. That's profit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so like you, you you select the video for monetization and YouTube will either let you make money or not depending on the content. Because if you swear in your video, you're automatically disqualified from, from make, making money for it. Seeing that one, I, yeah, that one kind of surprised me. Like I get like, I don't know. I feel like let some slip, like a rating system, right? Like if you're going to end up talking, sure. if you're going to be as horrible as like South Park the movie for swears per second, like, right. I get it, right? But like I... 
I think it was Rogan who on his thing, he's like instant demonetized because he just casually talks with people and sure. swears as much as he wants, right? Yeah. And um, I even remember when I was setting this up, I had to go through and there's like a button you have to put. I think it was for iTunes and you have to click whether for there's... explicit? Right. Yeah. And it's like, I for the first one or two, I tried to like keep it clean, right? And then I was like holding back and like just not... Right. Just... But, uh, the open conversation didn't feel right. So right, then, but I mean, like at the scale you're at too, where you're getting whatever a couple dozen hits per episode. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like you're not, your podcast isn't making money and probably won't for a long time if it ever does. Which is not a shot at the podcast itself. It's just the way content creation works now on the internet, where everyone's doing it. Um, but like I, I follow this guy on YouTube, and he's got like eight thousand subs on on there right now, and. Uh, so he does like toy hunt videos. So him and his buddies go to the different stores and see what's going on. And so he's holding the camera up in front of his face and one of his buddies uh, drops an F-bomb in the background. He's like, oh, sorry. And the vlogger himself is like, oh, no, don't worry. They took away my monetization. So say whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I just, yeah, like I don't, I know that they changed the rules, but then I saw like, I think it was Dolby said, because he did this whole series of NF, was it NF? Yeah, NFL. Like he did he sat down for a whole season and did like his predictions sure, yeah. for every week. And I swear he said one day, he's like, I think I, something like he paid for his basement renos out of the monetization for it. Nice. But like, he also has the advantage of being able to like, he has a following because he's right, yeah. like, whatever, Regina radio star, right? So it's sure. like, I make it sound worse than it is. But like, yeah, like he has an instant following. So he's getting thousands of people immediately right away. Right, yeah. And I just remember he said, he's like, yeah, it's awesome. I paid for my home renos. And all he had to do is just sit down and record like his picks every week. Right. Yeah. So it's super cool that way. I just, I don't, so I'm assuming he had to keep within like strict guidelines though. Like you can't have any copyright music. Right. You can't swear. Like, I don't know what the other actual rules are. Right. So yeah. it's like. Like you said, is it a hundred? Is like the baseline where they'll look at you, or? I mean, it's they just changed it a couple months ago, which was like a huge thing in the YouTube community. And I wasn't making videos at the time, so I wasn't really following it as much as maybe I wanted to. Um, but now, you, like anything in that mid range of being a big to small channel, which I think is like having several thousand, kind of puts you in the mid range. Like now, those guys are screwed, so they don't make any money off of it. Um, there's this one girl I follow. She works for IGN doing uh, game reviews. And she had a YouTube channel which was like supplementing her salary because IGN's in San Francisco, which is apparently a very expensive city to live in. And when YouTube changed their monetization, and at the time she had, whatever, 80,000 subscribers, she lost 90% of the her income from, from YouTube and had to make a Patreon. Yeah, I've noticed, and I've also made a Patreon that I have to kind of start shilling here sure um because yeah like i feel like things like patreon and um stuff like that has kind of had to pop up right um how familiar are you with twitch uh, i know of it i've never watched it or experimented with it i know what it is though you, you can watch people do stuff yeah the big thing obviously is games but like a lot of cosplayers will just do like craft sessions where they're working on their costume and doing q a's and stuff like that too um but i mean you can do whatever you want on it basically one of the wrestling companies has a Twitch account now. I can't remember if it's TNA or... Yeah, it's uh, Glo- 
impact wrestling impact. tna global wrestling, whatever you want to call it yeah at this point but that's like and now like eric bischoff has a twitch account yeah. and he like live streams his podcast sure. on there but it seems like people are going that way and there's a few other options now like i think youtube you can stream even now too but yeah. like the thing i like about twitch is um and you don't have to do a lot i think you have to average like three viewers over a period of a month or whatever and then you get the sub button and then that's a nice way to make money because then if people subscribe to you they pretty much give five dollars and the content provider gets splits that with twitch okay and so like it doesn't take a lot like to build a solid viewership like there's tons of people on there that they just need like a few hundred people that like them enough to hit the subscribe button and then they get this nice monthly income right that it sounds like the, that kind of income is dropped off on youtube right and like some of these people it's like it's their job some of sure. them it's like you know they get home at like five and then they stream till 10 and like like uh, like they make some pretty good money from what it looks like right yeah and it's not like hard work or doing something you love probably like if you're a gaming twitch channel you're not doing it because you hate video games yeah. Or if you're a cosplay Twitch channel, you're not doing it because you fucking hate to sew. Yeah. You know, you're doing something you enjoy while interacting with a fan base that has, who's also appreciates what you do too, which is nice. Yeah. And it's nice to see them branch out. Like there's like a live role playing channel and one of the first people on board it looked like was Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. And so now they have live role playing and they'll bring on celebrities every once in a while. And that's kind of cool right, to yeah. watch. Um, I found one where it's this girl from BC and she puts up a canvas and has one camera behind her one on her face and she sits there and does like an oil painting every evening right, and she yeah. has a huge following so it's super cool that it's kind of spun out of the video game thing yeah like, it's cool to see like i mean independent content creation i think is going to drive social media for a very long time at this point um with youtube and twitch and patreon and uh gofundme to a lesser extent to fund like big projects like you know s- short films or whatever it is because uh, I have a couple buddies who created a, a very small local uh, film production company and they're just doing stuff like, you know, five minute shorts or, or fake trailers or whatever. And they have a GoFundMe to because they want to be able to pay the, the actors involved in the project. Yeah. And it's nice. Like there's a lot of game companies, too, that they'll just and it's nice to get the money up front. Right. right. Like, and then you have the goals. Like if you donate 25, you'll get this perk unlocked. Yeah. Um. Oh, now that's gonna. There's a video. Oh, it's a space game, and it's um, it's made millions of dollars already. Sure. And I'm trying to remember what it is, and it still hasn't even come out yet. And it's selling like it's kind of like Eve Online, where it's just like this endless, vast universe, right? Yeah. Um, but like they're to the point where they're refining it now, and now they're selling ships for like forty five thousand dollars legit money yeah. but then there's only 10 of them so you're one of 10 guys in this right. virtual universe and like that kind of blows my mind because when you go to the website like normally like you said like a kickstarter is like give five give 10 whatever and help kick yeah. in towards us but this guy's to the point where like they've got the millions to make the game but now they're like the rich nerds can go in there and mm-hmm. like buy the cadillac of these spaceships right. and it's just i find it weird that people will spend that much but like yeah, I mean, and it is what it is. I mean, GoFundMe is like I get it. If you want to to create something big, uh, in the case you're describing to me, it sounds fishy that they have all this money and now they're just like 
having people pay for add-ons essentially my friends maintain that game will never come out right. even though it's like i'll have to google it it's like the largest like funded like game or maybe anything right because like right. i think the last i looked it was like 145 million dollars right like that's more than enough i think to make a video game sure to get developers and everything and they have like screenshots and there's somebody creating these ships right but like right. um yeah like it's been ongoing for years right and like the guy's famous because he made is it fleet commander star commander some famous 90s like um space combat franchise star okay. commander something like that but yeah like so he's got a name right and then all of a sudden he threw up and he's like i'll make an entire universe and like so everyone that loved these games right, right. they're like throwing money at him and it was like millions and millions of dollars um and yeah like nothing's come out yet but then these more perks keep coming up right, right. so it's like more of my hardcore friends that are like know who he is and like all the stuff they're like it's never coming yeah it sounds kind of fishy but i mean what do i know star citizen that's it sure i'm just trying to find because yeah like it has made like stupid amounts of money and yeah like there's people that maintain it'll never come out and it's just but that's the problem right like there's no guarantee either when you go right. find something right like what happens if they don't hit their goal right like do you get a refund yeah. and i know a lot of, a lot of products will do a refund if they don't meet their goal within x number of days or months or whatever it is okay um which is which is nice because you know you're giving money for the project the project isn't happening then why are you still out your money because it's not like an ongoing thing you know i don't know GoFundMe is weird. I used to have a big issue with Patreon too because it felt like people were just getting money for not doing anything. But then like the more I researched it and saw what creators were doing and offering more content for for specific tiers, I I definitely like opened up to it and I can see like these full-time content creators making a living off Patreon now, which is really cool to see. Um, obviously, some people are still abusing it. There's this one... Uh, fitness quote unquote model on Instagram. Uh, what's her name? Lacey, Lacey Summers, Lacey K Summers, something something like that. And she has a Patreon because she has like nine million followers on Instagram. So I went to go check it out and see kind of what the what her tiers were for Patreon. Cause yeah. Really, what are you offering? Um, and there's like the first tier starts at ten dollars, and the perk is. Thank you for your support. So people are literally paying $10 for nothing. Not even like a Snapchat. It, no, or... it's just because it's just she's hot. That's all it is. Because <laughs> she's a hot girl on Instagram. Uh, and then like 25 bucks gets you, yeah, the Snapchat or whatever. And 50 bucks a month gets you nudes. The tears go like up that. that high. Man, I think she's got tears for like 500 bucks. What? Yeah, and it's ridiculous. And it's literally like personalized nude videos. And I'm like, this is weird and kind of sad and frightening for the future of the of the soul universe. Yeah. So I mean like Patreon accounts like that, and it's hard to falter because like people are just throwing money at her. And that's the thing, like I had my one friend on here, <clears throat> Shammy, a while ago, and he's a Twitch streamer. Like, he goes to his day job, right, yeah. comes home, streams every night, and 
he did it loyal enough that he got like the sub button and you can like buy actual like amazon currency to throw at them called bits or whatever and you can donate to him like he unlocked the full thing right so he can and they call it um a twitch partnership right right okay and that's super cool or whatever but then like the subject that also came up is once you find people who abuse it right and his term for it and i guess that's the term for the business is called titty streamers right and it's these girls that are like if the screen is however big right most people it's like here's the game i'm playing and your picture's like a right, little 10 picture per, 10 percent pic- person 90 percent game right and, and the then opposite. these are like 90 percent streamer and the game's like this little thing off in the corner right? right yeah or like i just looked her up there's one that's been and she's i can't even fathom the money she's making her name or she's a cosplayer called amaranth oh yeah i know of her okay and so now she's on twitch every night right okay and she's got like easily thousands just watching her every night and she'll play like just dance or something right you know the obvious thing right but then the brilliance of her for monetizing herself is in the top right corner she'll say i have 2500 subs which is mind-blowing on its own right she's like if it gets to 2600 while i'm on dancing tonight i'll switch into a black cat cosplay okay and so like I can't even fathom the money she makes, right? Like, and they'll have a list of like top donators, and one dude is like thirteen thousand dollars. Yeah, it's crazy. But I mean, like I said, you can't really fault the people for for doing it if people are giving the money to them, right? Oh no, that's the thing is like people are falling over and like, and Twitch has been really good about like catching these people and kind of like giving them the boot. Yeah. Because I remember there was one girl where she was like, for every five dollar donation, I'll do ten jumping jacks. Sure. <laughs> it's like okay yeah like i get they have with the one cat like there's a talk show category and all that and they have one called in real life right like just an irl section where most people just sit there with the camera in front of them and almost have like a talk show right they just interact with their chat yeah and this seems to be taking it to another place but like i think i quickly added it up the one day and i think she's making like twenty thousand dollars a month that's crazy like (laughs) yeah I don't think that's what the platform is for, but I'm getting a back. Awesome. So let's just transition right into the wrestling. Um, back from this uh, unscheduled break. Yes. Brief inter- <laughs> a brief intermission. I've learned that the pause button works, so that's all good. Yeah. Um, you. We're pretty much like I know I want to talk about this. We're pretty much different generations, right? And I know we've argued about wrestling in that sure. format before. Yeah. Um, and so, how old were you when you first started watching? Well, I mean, like I've I've literally been watching wrestling my entire life because my family watched wrestling. Um, and when I say watch wrestling, my great grandmother was actually the wrestling fan of the family, and people just watched wrestling, like around her, because she was the one who put it nice. on TV. And I've been told that after I was born, when I was brought home from the hospital, wrestling was on TV. So I've literally been watching wrestling my entire life. Um, the earliest memories I have are like renting videos. So not like so the much. old Coliseum videos. Yeah, Coliseum nice. videos. Yeah. Um, I watched a lot of like those late 80 pay per views over and over again. Um, I owned SummerSlams. 88 and 89 survivor series 89 um i think i had a royal rumble in there and then like obviously the best ofs and the coliseum videos and like the world tours and the house shows and all that 
Um, so Raw came on TV when I was like the month before I turned four. So it started in January of 93. I turned four the next month. Um, But where I lived in Whitehorse, we didn't get Raw on TV until I think like late 96, right before Bret Hart came back. Okay. Um, So like I I grew up watching the tapes, obviously, but on TV it was like Saturday morning superstars for WWF and then WCW Saturday night on TBS was what I got. Oh, you had access to WCW? Yeah, I watched WCW my, my whole life. Um, Sting was one of my favorite wrestlers and still is. Uh, I was watching when Vader was still there, and then the Nasty Boys went back after they were in WWF. Uh, I was there for the uh, the birth of, of Harlem Heat and the Blue Bloods, and we didn't get Nitro until later, like after NWO came on came out already but it, like i was aware of what was happening because they would show highlights of it on on the saturday night show yeah and like here tsn would play they had the rights to both so it was an awkward yeah. situation right so like monday night you'd watch raw right and then tuesday was nitro and then tuesday you get nitro so you'd have to like wait the 24 hours and right. like the internet was still new ish in the mid 90s right. right so like there wasn't exactly like forums or like right. stuff like that. So there was no spoilers, which was nice, right? So you could watch one, then watch the yeah. other. And you got them kind of back to back. But it was weird that TSN was kind of like the end all be alls for the sports network here, right? And so they right. had like every, they had both platforms, right? And then that also led into like Landsberg kind of getting some pretty good notoriety because right he always would do those record, off the yeah. records with all the wrestlers, right? But um, did you guys get Stampede at all? Uh, if, I guess it would have been wound we, up by the time we did you it was before enough. my time, yeah. Yeah, see, that's too um, bad. So, I mean, like, the only wrestling I, I watched growing up was WCW and WWF. Okay. Like, I uh, became vaguely aware of, of other wrestling probably not until, like, the late 90s. Maybe. Like ECW or any of the other... Yeah, like, I, I was aware of ECW, but it was on too late for me. Because okay. I was, you know, I was nine. Yeah. Uh, and it's on, it was on like Friday night at midnight or something like that. Um, and like we had a, a VCR to record stuff. And you could like pre-record your shows. But because I could never stay up late enough to watch it, I didn't have any attachment to it in order to actually go out of my way to tape it. Um, and then I think too, and then because of that, I was never an ECW fan ever. Like I don't necessarily look down or disrespect ECW, but I don't really give a shit about it. Yeah, I remember we tried watching that one pay-per-view and just turned it off. Like, there are some gem wrestlers that came out of it, and like, I think Paul Heyman had an eye for talent, but then he also had like, two-thirds of the show was like insane blood, gore, hardcore magic. Yeah, there's a lot of garbage in ECW. Yeah. And people like, like, the perception of it, and WWE like pushes that perception of like it being you know the wild wild west but how everyone is like a huge star but like there's maybe two handfuls of guys who i would even look upon with with major respect and whether that's either like there's some garbage wrestlers who i don't respect at all obviously but then there's some i'm just not familiar with to give that respect to um, i think the pit bulls would probably fit in that latter category <laughs> I forgot about them. Like, if you made me make... Like, if I had to come up with a list of, like, ECW people that I think, like, 
were that would fit in anywhere, right? Like, I don't know. My number one pick is Raven. I have always enjoyed that character in his journeys through, I think, all the big three companies. I think he ended up winning the world title in TNA at some point. Yeah, NWA champion. Yeah. Yeah, Like, like, early years. Like, that first year, I think. Was he? Yeah. Him and Jarrett were a feud. Yeah. Yeah. I think their first champion ever was Ken Shamrock, though, right? And then it went into Ron Killings. And then it kind of... Yeah, I think Shamrock won in, like, their first or second... They used him as kind of, like, a notoriety kind of thing. Yeah. But, like, yeah, like, Raven, I always enjoyed as, like, a wrestler wrestler. I think he had awesome psychology and sure. he did have, like, storylines. Like, his storyline in um, WCW, he had two of them. He had one with Paige and he had one with Benoit. Right, yeah. And it was these awesome, because of the flock thing, I enjoyed that too, right? <clears throat> and I just enjoyed the chase, right? Like, people had to get through, like, Kidman first and then they had to go to Sick Boy and then maybe later on you'd have to, like you'd work your way up this ladder right? Yeah. and like Raven would always be like cheating or doing these horrible things to you as you're going along the way. And like, I don't know. I just, I feel like things nowadays are so rushed that there's no like slow builds to stories anymore where like people are like wanting the payoff. Right. Like, sure. I think the last time they did, it might've been the, the once in a lifetime where they announced Roxena. Right, a year in advance. Right, like the day after WrestleMania, they announced it, right? And then that had this awesome slow build, right? But, like, I liked Raven because he had storytelling. But, like, I'm trying to think of other guys that were, like... Because, like, Sandman, whatever, he's still... He was one of the hardcore gimmicks, right? Right, Like, Sabu was one of the hardcore gimmicks. Dreamer to a point, like... Yeah. um, Like, when I look at ECW, the guy that pops into my head is Taz, and I love Taz. He has that style, like that suplex and submission yeah. style. Like that's what I'm really into. Um, so there's him. There's Rhino, who came out of ECW. And when he was there, he was young and green. He was their last champion. And just he like, was like the last guy. Yeah, the he was just like the, the monster of the promotion. Like after Taz left, basically, he was kind of like the like the next Taz, and probably would have been a really big deal had that company stayed open. I think Lance Storm would be at the top of the list. Yeah, he was gone there before the end, though. Because he was um, in WCW right. for a he couple years. He was one of the impact players, him and... Credible. Credible, yeah. right. Credible was up and down. Like, I remember his Aldo Montoya gimmick. Yeah. But I didn't make much of it, right? Because, sure. like, it was just... It was there, right? Well, but, I mean, I, from what I understand, having trained with Lance and had conversations with him, they signed Credible because he could legitimately speak Portuguese. So he was he was the Portuguese man of war because he could yeah. speak Portuguese and, you know, be marketed in that market and, and do media and stuff like that. Um they probably could have done a better gimmick than what they did, but you could have said that about everybody in the, that was the early nineties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Early to mid. Yeah. Like even watching that old SummerSlam, right. There's just like the smoking guns and the Godwins. Right. And that's kind of why I like WCW a lot too, because they don't have those cartoony characters from the early nineties. You know, you had your sting, but he wasn't like a character. He was just bright, colorful face paint guy. Yeah. Um, which made him stand out against a Ric Flair and uh, and a T.A. Magnum and the Horsemen and Anderson and Dusty and all those guys. Dungeon of Doom probably was the only cartoonish. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Um, but even then it was like, they were like a real threat. Because oh, yeah. they had like some badass dudes. They had Kevin Sullivan and Ming and Barbarian and the Giant. I mean, the only guys who were like really cartoony were like Kamala. He was there for a while. Or whatever character Ed Leslie was playing at the time. That'd be Zodiac. 
<laughs> Zodiac or the Butcher. He had a couple different ones, actually. I don't remember the Butcher. I remember yeah. Zodiac when he came over. I remember John Tanta became the shark. Yeah, he was the shark, and he had a tiger tattoo on his shoulder, and they made him... And he, he went out of his way and changed it into a shark and got covered up. No. And, like, two weeks later, he wasn't the shark anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. See, and I liked Earthquake when he was... But that was part of the old 80s formula where it was, like, build up a monster, feed it to Hogan. Sure. And so, like, they had some awesome big people, though. Like, I loved um, One Man Gang. Right. Um, who else was in there? Boss Man, who I think is one of the most agile big guys ever. Oh. More so in the 90s than in the 80s. He lost a ton of weight when he turned babyface in, like, 91, yeah. I just, I, yeah, I just remember, like, they would go to whip him in the corner, and he would do that baseball slide. Yeah. And he would hook his arm around the post and be back around and back up and at you. Yeah. And for, like, him and Bam Bam, I think, would be my, like, definitions of, like, agile big man, right? Like, both of them, like, moonsaults, quick on their feet. But, yeah, like, I don't remember his big bubba kind of look. Okay, yeah. Because he was a, yeah, kind of a bigger dude. But yeah, Kamala was whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, WCW, they had, uh, the early 90s and the mid 90s were very different for them. So in the early ones, you had, uh, like, Flair was your top guy when he wasn't in WWF. But then after that, you had, like, Luger and Sting and uh, uh, Stunning Steve, Stunning Steve Austin, uh, Brian Pillman. Uh, Barry Windham was a good guy. Um, you just had like wrestler Ron Simmons, Vader. You just had like guys who were there to to fight to wrestle, whereas WWF was more showmanship at the time. And that's the line. Like I'd have to look it up, but it was like when was it ninety one, ninety two when he came out and made the like the sports entertainment announcement. Sure, pretty much yeah. like, and that's. That's one of the things I like about the Steve Austin podcast, the few that I've seen when he's done them on the network, right? At the end of every interview, he asks every guy, he goes, are you a pro wrestler or are you a sports entertainer? And it, I always find it super interesting to like see what they say, right? Right. And even when some dudes, fess, like, I guess I just couldn't call it fessing up, but when they like align themselves with sports entertainment, I find it weird, right? Like, I like, like you said, the more... Like the WCW style, right? It was like more realistic, more yeah. hard hitting. I hate using the term like Japanese, but like Calgary was also the same way. Like right. Calgary had like a super snug, tight, hard hitting style that like that's what I started watching, right? As a kid, right? So like that's what I expect and that's what sure. I like. And that's why like the Bret Hart's of the world, the Chris Benoit's of the world are like my favorites still to right, this yeah, day, yeah. right? Like it's just the the realism of it and like I feel like that's gone some days I mean it is and it isn't depending on who you're watching because even like the top guys in WWE right now you look at a guy like Finn Balor he's a legitimate pro wrestler but his his style is smoother and more fluid and divey and jumpy versus a Roman Reigns who is who's very smash mouth um, and one is not better than the other they just have different styles but what they've made right now for themselves is a main event scene where all these styles have come together. And that's because guys who get into wrestling now grew up wrestling fans. Whereas back in the 80s and 90s, it was guys getting into the business. And now it's guys following their dreams. Um, and I, I talk to Jeff Tyler about this all the time with the cruiserweight division specifically. And why isn't it connecting now like it did in the 90s? Well, in the 90s, you had the Lucha Libre guys 
the Japanese guys, the American guys, the English guys, and they all had their distinct styles that went well together. But now you have guys coming up who grew up watching that and have taken little bits from each style they like and kind of created their own what's called super indie style now. Um, indie strong style, whatever you want to call it. And so like every guy on 205 Live has that same style and they maybe each have one or two things that set them apart. You know, Jack Gallagher has his his weird submission stuff and tie guys into knots. But other than that, everyone pretty much does the same stuff, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Do you think that's why, like, there's Callisto, like, he can, like, for the people, like you said, that watched, because I agree, like, the 19, like, the late 90s WCW Cruiserweight division was amazing, right? Right, yeah. And it's true, like, you had your Ultimo Dragons from Japan. I can't think of another one, Major Jap. Muda wasn't small enough for that, was he? Um, no, he did light heavyweight stuff with Brian Pillman in the early 90s, okay. but I think he was a heavyweight in the late 90s. But then, yeah, and then, like, the entire Mexican regime from, like, your yeah. La Parcas all the way up to your Eddie Guerrero's, like, yeah. all of them were great. And it was nice because Nitro was a three-hour show, right? And it almost felt like in that in-between, like, they wanted the first hour to grab people, they wanted the last hour to be their, like, big shock and awe, right? But in the middle was this, like, like, the the mid-card guys and the cruiserweights and like I don't know I enjoy them and, but it is like I never thought of it like you said and that's an awesome point it's like everything now watch that and so they're this what they like is a blend of what their favorite things are right right yeah it, it's like you know compared to filmmakers you know you have guys coming up now who are in film school who have w- grew up watching um, Spielberg and Scorsese movies and they take those things and, and tweak it now for like a modern era so it's more I guess it's not really that comparable because now guys are more innovative within film because they've seen what works and they're building upon that. Whereas in wrestling, they're they're picking and choosing what worked and what didn't and just making like one... A hybrid style. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Hybrid's a great word for it. Because um, guys now are just like students of the game. You know, there's so much wrestling you have access to, even older stuff. Because search on YouTube, you know, New Japan 1992 and you'll get all these Misawa matches and you can just take whatever you want from him or you can watch Luthez from the 60s and 70s or you can watch Bret Hart from the 90s or Austin from the 2000s. Um, there's just so much access to everything whereas back when when wrestling was was the business uh, and you were on the road you know, six days a week and you're just in the car and you're, you know, whatever, doing your, doing your drugs and just <laughs> hanging out with the guys and, you know, you didn't have the internet. You couldn't watch stuff. You just wrestled in front of crowds and you threw stuff against the wall and saw what worked and what didn't. And you got better just from experience. But now you can study it and then and then try it out in a, a closed setting, like in a, a training garage or whatever, or at the performance center for these guys, I guess. Which is quite the center. Um, I remember I was talking to you, like you said that there's a distinct difference between Regina and Saskatoon for here, for the wrestling crowds. Oh, absolutely. Um, Regina's had full-time wrestling for 20 years now, starting with like hardcore wrestling back in 96, I think it was, and evolved to Wild West wrestling or something like that. And then high impact, what is it? Whip wrestling. What was whip? 
I remember that. I swear I went to a hardcore wrestling show across the street here at this right. curling club. Okay, yeah. And I swear it was Cash. It was sure. one of the matches I watched. Sure. So. Very very possible. I know he started in like 2000 or something like that. Yeah. Um, but like Regina has... They've had full-time wrestling for 20 years. Every month or every couple weeks or whatever the case may be. And for the last 15 years, they've had... You know, Dixie Dragon and Bucky McGraw and Jeff Tyler and King Cash and Rex Roberts. And they've had, you know, their core group that they've watched for the last decade and a half, if not longer. And, you know, they're attuned to that. Whereas Saskatoon, it's wrestling nerds who are finding the local wrestling. You know, you you walk to a, a wild side show, you see a bunch of Bullet Club t-shirts. We don't get that in Regina, though. Um, and whether that's because maybe Saskatoon is just like a younger city, too. Like... Uh, like the population just like younger right whereas Regina is like a government city oh, Saskatoon yeah. is like <clears throat> the modern city kind of so the the age difference I think is, is quite drastic they have a bigger university we have a smaller university um, whatever the case is though Saskatoon has wrestling nerds who are there to watch wrestling whereas Regina shows the crowds kind of there because that's what they do or it's something to do but not necessarily for the wrestling um, I recently realized watching Regina show, they don't care about the wrestling. They care about the wrestlers and the outcome of the matches, but not the matches themselves. Do you find that they get become disengaged if the matches? Absolutely. So they'll pop for the entrances, they'll pop for promos, and they'll pop for the finish to a match. But other than that, unless someone almost dies, they don't react during the match. Whereas in Wildside, they're chanting the entire time. They're popping for every big move and every near fall. And, like, it's electric at Wildside shows. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we just did Battle Arts up there, which is... Is that the one with Cody Rhodes? That was the one with Cody Rhodes, nice. yeah. And um, it was Cody Rhodes versus Michael Allen Richard Clark. And there was a 10-minute promo match, or a 10-minute promo back and forth between the two, where the crowd was engaged the entire time. And Cody was like... You, you say you have the longest name in professional wrestling, but what you don't know is that my name is actually All In Cody Rhodes. And the crowd starts chanting, All In Cody Rhodes. Or whatever the rhythm yeah. was. But, and then they go back and forth again. They chant Michael Allen, Richard Clark over and over again. All In Cody Rhodes over and over again. And then Cody says, Screw this. I'm dashing All In Cody Rhodes. I have five names. You have four. You lose. <laughs> and the crowd starts chanting, dashing all in Cody Rhodes and like it was crazy and yeah it was just nuts I, w I was in the main event in a TLC match uh, for the provincial title and they're doing the in-ring announcements for the for the wrestlers you know the introductions I should say and while the announcer is saying you know from this city weighing in this much this is insert nickname wrestler name and like up until they say Brett Evans, the crowd's like buzzing with anticipation to like hear that name and cheer or boo or whatever they want to do. And then they say the name, the crowd goes nuts with whatever their reaction is, depending on what the name is, obviously. And you just don't get that in Regina. And I think Regina's just seen too much. It would almost be like it would almost be nice if you could have an off season in wrestling. Yeah. Which is something if I was going to promote wrestling, I probably would have an off-season um, and, like, build to a climax of, like, 
so let's say your wrestling season is from November to March and you, you plan out what your whole season is going to be with your top storylines, what your cliffhangers are going to be for the season finale, basically. Like, do it like a TV show. Like Lucha does it, kind of? Uh, I can't comment on that. I couldn't get into Lucha Underground. Didn't get that far. But even when they did it, their season was 52 episodes or whatever it was. Like, it was a long, long season. Um, but if you're promoting indie wrestling, you're doing it once a month, so you yeah. You, know, you plan your six to ten shows for your season, take a, a few months off, um, and go from there. So, I mean, like, Regina probably could go for a break from wrestling, but obviously, as a company, you don't want that because there's no revenue coming in. And what happens at the end of that off season when only half your crowd comes back? Yeah. Like, you know, it's a double-edged sword that way. So, that's why I don't promote. Um, do you find it's a saturation based on three companies? Who's I the, think it's three. Who's the third company? Um, there's <coughs> Ringside. Yep. Uh, HIW yep. and CWE. I mean, CWE comes through every few quarterly. Months. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I but they do a massive tour, right? And they make sure, like, this time through was Ron Simmons. Um, they was it Jake last time? Yep. I think so. Like, yeah, and that's what reminds me of like when I was growing up, we would get. Because I'm from Melville, right? And you guys still do, I think, the spot shows there. But Just did Melville a couple weeks ago, I think, yeah. It made me sad for the crowd size. Unless the camera was, like, on the side where all the people were. Sure. Because, like, I remember when I was a kid, one year on my birth... Like, we would get Stampede once a year. In Melville? Yeah. Okay. If we were lucky, right? Yeah. And I remember one year, it was, like, on my birthday, middle of June. And, yeah, they showed up and did a show in our high school gym. And it's, like... And it was before Vince bought them out, right? So, right. like... The majority of the hearts were there and like honky tonk and bad news and like the the good the bulldogs weren't there right but we got like the main roster right and it was amazing right and it just it's like you said like there needs to be a downtime and you need to anticipate right, right. like because i feel like on my face because i'm friends with like most of them right and like everyone's kind of split off into their own factions and which company and i don't understand the politics of it right like, whatever but it just feels like this friday there's a ringside show and next friday there's an hiw show and then in a month and a half there's this really big show coming through with cwe from winnipeg right and it's just this and some guys are on two of them right like i and it's just like yeah like there's no real anticipation right there's like and now it feels like there's you need to go to the main ones right like the rumble spring meltdown and the King's Challenger, right, like yeah. the must-see ones, right? But, like, the amazing job was, like you said, Battle Arts was awesome, right? Because you brought Cody Rhodes in into a city that really, really would appreciate him. Right. Because, like, I remember at the time, like, I felt like this city was the headquarters for the company. But yet, I felt like, personally, there's no draw to Ryback for me, right? Sure. So they brought Ryback here in Cody Rhodes, Saskatoon. And at the time, I was like, that felt ass backwards. But now, after hearing you... It makes sense. Oh, it made perfect sense because Ryback is the WWE guy. Yeah. And Cody Rhodes right now is the internet indie wrestling king. Yeah. Essentially. Like, he can do no wrong. And, like, Regina's a casual city. Saskatoon's the hardcore city. So, I mean, that's... It was the perfect, perfect choosing, in my opinion, out of those two options, Ryback and Cody. They were booked in the right cities. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, And even, like, the move up 
when the company got bought out, it went from Victoria Club to, is it Hungarian? Yeah. Is that still a big enough space now, or is the crowd's kind of gone down? Crowd's kind of gone down a little bit. Um, every couple months we'll get a, a big crowd. It's it's tough. I, I don't really know if I need to get into it right now, because it's a lot of stuff I don't know about. No, that's and fair like, I don't know all of the behind the scenes. I don't know all the reasons. Huge storm. For, yeah, Thunder and Lightning are coming through. <laughs> There's a WCW reference there somewhere. Thunder and Lightning. They were a tag team at one point. Marcus Bagwell, maybe? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. That's going to bug me. Um, yeah, we well, got a laptop there. I'll keep talking about wrestling. Well, there was Fire and Ice. Yeah, Ice Train and uh, Scott Norton. Scott Norton. Yeah. Stars and Stripes, Marcus Bagwell and the Patriot. Del Wilkes Patriot? Sure, I don't know. He had a mask on. <laughs> oh man Patriot oh. yeah you said you don't listen to Cornette hey I used to but he just spent too much time talking about politics I just don't yeah fair enough because he had this like epic thing about how awesome Del Wilkes was and just like how he was perfect at that time when Bret Hart became like the evil Canadian right, right yeah but like he wasn't evil he was popular in the entire world but a villain in the United States right yeah and he just said how Del Wilkes the Patriot character was like the perfect timing right to come in and fight against him because that's when the Canadian tour happened and like I think In Your House Calgary Stampede is still revered as like one of the best pay-per-views ever sure so yeah it's interesting like yeah I like how you kind of lay out like do you find some of the other smaller communities draw well they haven't been this year. There's been a couple of uh, of disappointing houses. I know, like, they went to Prince Albert a month or two ago, and they brought in 20. We went to Yorkton last month. We brought in 40. Melville a couple weeks ago had, like, 10 from what I heard. Yeah, like, the pictures look dismal. Yeah. And I know it changed because, like, I went to that first one where, um, yeah, you bored my crossbones mask. Sure, <laughs> that okay, was a yeah. Melville show and it was like in the old hockey rink and it was full right yeah. and like bulls from there so I thought it would always like yeah. draw a decent number so I don't know if it's just like like I said where like when it was once a year that was just right where it was kind of like a big right. deal but I mean it's only a big deal if you promote it like it is um, we used to go to Melville like every every second month and we bring in whatever 30-40 people on a regular basis which wasn't bad and then we didn't go there for a year and then we went back and got 10 so I mean hmm was it that long in between yeah I think so good lord maybe not a year but like a good 6 to 12 months for sure hmm so what did you have access to then you said Northwest Territories you're from I'm from the Yukon Yukon yeah okay so like you said it took a while to even get raw up there like uh yeah whenever tsn started showing it in like 96 i think okay yeah because yeah like i kind of it's weird i kind of like go through like super fandom and then i kind of wane and it also depends like i don't like i'm not in as invested as you are in a lot of it but like the early 90s to me was a tremendous lull like i didn't i also had become a teenager at that time right now and like moved here and was an adult and things like that came in but like I loved like I like I'm old enough to remember like Wrestlemania is like one two three four five six up to the warrior thing and then it seemed to kind of dwindle for me okay yeah. and then it felt like um it came back up when Hulk Hogan went evil mm. 
because before that I think they said he was getting booed out of places and like yeah and that's just because he was a a WWF style wrestler trying to wrestle in WCW whereas at the time it was still I mean like NWO went made WCW go like super national in terms of like touring and stuff like that before that it was still like a southern promotion um and Hulk Hogan just didn't fit in there against guys like Arn Anderson or or Ric Flair or those guys you know like it's just the guys that could pull off like an hour match right yeah not necessarily even the time it's just just the style you know like when Ric Flair punches the guy in the face it looks like he punches the guy in the face whereas Hogan is like palm on the forehead and like overhand just like punches his own hand and it looks horrible which was fine in the 80s in New York not so fine in you know Tennessee Atlanta kind of thing yeah I remember hearing Ric Flair. Yeah, it was Ric Flair where he was said he was learning about punches, and the thing was you would tie a piece of string to like in the middle of a doorway and let it hang down. Yeah. And you would sit there for like hours, practicing yep. to make it look like you were hitting the string as hard as you possibly could, without it moving. Yeah. And like, just I don't know why, but hearing stories like that, I always find them like super cool. About like, yeah, we uh, Lance told us to do a towel in the bathroom. Okay. But same general idea. And then I came here and went to the training school. And they're like, oh, yeah, if you want to learn to punch, punch a wall. And if you hurt your hand, you hit it too hard. I'm like, that's fucking stupid. You're going to break your hand and can't train for six months. <sighs> and that's just like a different, um, it's a different philosophy, right? It's, that's what they were trained on. I mean, I was trained on something else. Yeah. Um, did you specifically move down to go to Lance's school? Uh, no, I actually moved to Regina in 2008 uh, to pursue a police career. Oh, cool. uh, so I was at the university doing police studies. And then I took a semester off to go to Calgary because it's a 12-week camp over there. Uh, so I was there September to November and came back and finished my degree and wrestled locally. Um, so no, I didn't. Move, I didn't move down here to go, to go to Storms, but I was aware of Storms Camp while I was still up north. Is that kind of the best option for Western Canada? It's one of the best options for the world, to be honest. He has a pretty good success rate. Yeah. Um, the thing I'm noticing now, though, is that... Like, I was one of the first... I was the first guy in HW to come from Storm's Camp. Uh, which kind of made me unique and had my own style. But now half the roster's gone through Storm's Camp. So it's a saturation, especially in Western Canada. Um... Because Saskatchewan, Calgary, or Saskatchewan, Alberta, and probably BC too, you know, half the wrestlers have gone through that camp now. Um, but that doesn't mean you guys shouldn't do it. If you want to wrestle, you want to have the best training. And that's not to shit on the HIW Training Academy because it's very well run. And the wrestlers here are, are very solid. They, they're knowledgeable. They know what they're doing. But they don't have the experience and the the globe trotting of a lance storm and you're not going to get that in many places um the dudley boys school booker t school down in houston um there's probably not many more than that probably those three but obviously in canada storms is probably your best option hmm. um but like when i was in high school i was trying to find a, a wrestling school to go to before he opened his up and probably the one i would have pursued if Storm didn't come up with Scott DeMauro out in Windsor. Which I don't even know if he's still running a school anymore, but he was you hmm. know, 12 years ago. Is that what Santino Morel is doing now? 
he's doing battle arts, which is uh, like it's an MMA, judo, oh, okay. martial arts, wrestling school. It's kind of like everything. So I don't think he has like specific camps um, for wrestling, which is, I think that's what makes Storm unique in that sense. Because a lot of wrestling schools are like, you move to that city, you get a job, you train three evenings a week um, ad nauseum basically until you start doing shows. Whereas Storms is like a specific 12-week camp, Monday to Friday, 9 to 12 for 12 weeks. And then, okay, go get some work. Go start doing shows somewhere. Can't stay here, <laughs> essentially. So, What do you feel the success rate is of someone going through his... I guess it depends how you define success. Like how many kids drop out? Mm, you'll probably get like one to two dropouts per camp, which I mean, if you're, if you got 10 to 15 guys at a camp, it's a fairly low number, but most guys can stick it out for 12 weeks. Um, whether they pursue wrestling after that or not is a completely different story. Uh, Cause I know in my camp we had 12 guys slash girls and uh, one guy dropped out because he couldn't afford Calgary one guy dropped out because he didn't want to wrestle anymore um, and then after the camp one guy didn't wrestle after at all one guy had one match one guy went back for a second camp and then still never wrestled after that what would the purpose be of going through it again? Um, what was his story? So he went through storms, went back to Virginia. I think he was from. He was training locally there, and then maybe got hurt or something, and then went back to like get those fundamentals back down. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I mean, also it's just an experience, right? Like it's just it's just life experience because you're in a different city, you're living with different people. It's short term, so it's not a huge risk in terms of commitment, because you're gonna go back home in three months anyway. So, did it feel rushed at all? Uh, the camp itself, probably no. I didn't never got that sense. I mean, we moved quickly, but we spent so much time in the ring that it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like we did learn how to bump one day and then did pile drivers the next day. <laughs> um. No, I felt very good with it after. I guess, yeah. Um, he would know the pace or yeah. whatever, right? Well, I mean, <clears throat> he was training guys one year into his career. He tells the story that he learned... He trained with the Hearts yeah. in, like, 1990. And then by, like, the end of 91, he was running the Heart Camp under whoever was actually running it. But he was, like, the, the trainer there two years into the business. So, I mean, he'd been training guys for 20 years before I ever got there. And the, whoever trained him just, like, went step by step through, like, the Stu Hart Manual of Training. And it was, like, an actual book. And Lance did the same thing two years later when he started, and he still trains that way. So, I mean, he's got... His training program is, whatever, 70 years old at this point. Yeah. And how many people came out as a product of that thing too, right? Exactly. And even like guys who are coming out of his camp now. I mean, just in in my camp, we had only Lorcan from NXT 
and Taya Valkyrie, who's on Impact and Lucha Underground right now. And even like um, Chelsea Green, was she she must have been a little bit after you, right? She was a couple years after me, but yeah, she's in Impact now. And uh, Tyler Breeze went through Storm's camp and uh, Emma Tennille Dashwood went through there oh okay yeah she was at my camp as like for like a week um, several years after she had gone through herself but she was there as like a guest um, I can't there's a lot I just can't think of them at the, at the moment but he also was a head trainer in OVW for a long time and trained Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Lashley and all those guys too oh he was down there during that period yeah. That would have been, what, the early 2000s? When yeah. did he retire, even? I don't even... Or does he consider himself retired? Yeah, he... Uh, he's definitely retired. I don't think he's in a show for several years. Had a match. Um, when would he have stopped wrestling full-time? Because I don't know where he went after... I think he opened his school in, like, 2006. I guess that would sound about right. Yeah. When did he leave WWE, though? A year before that. Because he had some pretty... It sucked because, like, I remember watching when he first moved from ECW to WCW. And it's one of my favorite stories because he pretty... They rehashed the Brett thing to a point with, like, the I'm a Canadian thing, which I think has been done too many times now. But, like, he came in and it's like week one, he won the Cruiserweight title. And then the next week he won the U.S. title and rena- and he kept renaming them, right? Yeah. Like... Um, it was like the Saskatchewan hardcore title and then he renamed the US title the Canadian title and then like he start and then he won the hardcore or no what was it hardcore cruiserweight US and then like he had a match I think it was with Goldberg like within Booker T was it with Booker yeah Booker was T it? was week four was it yeah I thought it was Goldberg for some reason no no but I just they brought him in with like this awesome story right yeah. and then but then when they created Team Canada around him it was just kind of like uh <laughs> Because who was it? Elix Skipper. Elix Skipper and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And what's her name? Or, oh. Major Guns. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, they built up this thing and then there was no real, wasn't, no, not Lash LaRue. It was the one guy that was a Quebecer for a while. I thought he was attached to him too. Jean-Pierre Lafitte? Yeah. Or no. I don't recall him being there. I mean, he might have been for a very short period, but it was such a chaotic time yeah. too. Like, yeah, guys are in and out like every couple weeks. So, and that's the thing. It seemed like anyone that like got fired from New York, they would show up like super quick. Like Marty Jannetty showed up and then started doing like my favorite moment for him in WCW is he was there for the list. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it just seemed like anyone that like the second they were done with Vince, and it just became a thing right they would go down to wcw and some would have success some wouldn't like i barely remember jim the animal nightheart wrestling there um or bulldog he had a few matches until he what he fell on um they had a a, yeah trap door that no one knew about if who i i think brett probably told that story in his book where bulldog took a bump on like the doorknob because no one knew the trap door was there whereas if they did they would just like stay away from that corner of the ring and uh yeah that quickly led to unfortunately bulldog's demise just a couple years later yeah and that was a door for warrior to come out yeah yeah because yeah, bulldog ended up going back didn't he yeah because he, he wore- had that run where he was wearing like the blue jeans, jeans. Yeah. yeah yeah and he feuded with the rock and shamrock i think for his two feuds 
He had a pretty close run to the world title, though, a few times, didn't he? Like, yeah, in the 90s and then, or in the mid, early to mid-90s, and then also in uh, the late 90s. But he was also in WCW in the early 90s, too, briefly, where he teamed with Sting and they feuded with Sid and Rick Rude and those guys, and he was in the world title picture there, too. Hmm. He was always, like, there, but never got the actual belt. Was that when he got fired for the during the steroid scandal? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I remember just, was it on the Bruce Pritchard? Yeah, it was on one of those ones where, like, they were talking about the thing, and I guess Warrior phoned up Vince one day, and he was just like, just to let you know, they arrested my, doc- my doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, just so you know, he also sells stuff to Bulldog or whatever. But those, I guess, were the first two guys on, like, human growth hormone. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. So, Bulldog, yeah, see, like, your knowledge of WCW, like, far outweighs mine, like, were you watching it weekly then, or? Uh, well, I mean, Saturday night on TBS, I was watching. Uh, Bulldog being there would have been like that would have been really early. Like that would have been ninety three. Yeah, ninety three, because he was back there to team with Luger for a while too. He was back there in ninety four in WWF. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like at ninety three, I was four years old, so I don't vividly remember anything from the week-to-week tv yeah no, it's all stuff enough. i've gone back and watched afterwards but 91 was the wimley stadium right 92 92 yeah i thought it was 91 for some reason no, 91 brought heartbeat perfect and that was ah. the savage elizabeth wedding nice the good days and then hogan flair maybe mm, i don't think they ever did a pay-per-view i think their first real like build up to a pay-per-view is when Hogan finally came over and signed with WCW yeah. and then they did a whole like the big parade for Hogan and the contract signing and WrestleMania 91 I don't remember because I thought 92 was the Luger one that's 93 is it? yeah Black Express was 93 because in 94 was WrestleMania 10 right yeah and that that was Luger Luger, Yoko, Brett, Hart, Brett, and Owen, and then Brett and Yoko in the main event. And that Brett-Owen match was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure it is. Um, SummerSlam 94, Brett and Owen in the cage. Not a huge fan. See, and that's on the Dave Meltzer five-star list. Yeah, and I don't see it. I've watched it. Probably watched it six months ago, and I I'll have to watch it again. So yeah, and that's like... Because what is it? Brett's and Meltzer has, what is it, like... There's five or six five-star matches that he considers for, like, that era of WWF. Right. And two of them had Brett. The one was that Steel Cage match. The other one was WrestleMania 13 with Austin. Sure. Which was amazing. Um, and then Michaels was in two. Um, I think in two. There was him and Razor Ramon in the latter match. Okay. And I remember, that's so funny, because Brett wanted that Steel Cage match with Owen to be a ladder match. Oh, okay. And they wouldn't do it for some reason. Because he was, I remember ladder matches from Stampede Wrestling. Right. And then, yeah, and it, there was this gap. And then, because I, I remember, I think it was in his one documentary, where he kept pitching it to Vince over and over. And Vince was like, I don't get it. Or I know it doesn't sound right. And then he finally right. was like, okay, hey, show me one or whatever. And then it ended up, was the debut the Razor Sean one? Or was there one before that? No, Brett and Sean had one before the WrestleMania one. It was like a house show, though. Okay, yeah. like a non-recorded. Yeah. Okay. It was recorded. Like, I've seen it. Oh, really? I've seen video, I think. 
but it wasn't like a pushed one like it wasn't a big deal hmm that'd be good I'm trying to remember what the other ones are now it's gonna bug me Sean and Razor had a rematch in 95 ladder match um I don't recall any other ones other than Sean and Razor yeah there were some bad ones like years and years later but then it kind of got wheeled into the whole TLC thing too right right? like and that's when you get into like how old were you when like the original like Dudley Edge and Christian and then the Hardy Boy stuff was happening 10 11 12 okay and see at that time period I wasn't as into wrestling as I was before or after um because when I turned ten, when I turned eleven or twelve is when I found like sports like hockey and basketball, okay. and I was more into that than wrestling. Um, but then, like in two thousand two, when like Lesnar came in and Cena came in, like The Rock and Austin were kind of being phased out. I came back into wrestling. I can't really explain how or why. That would be that influx of the original. Were they OVW? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. there was that was an awesome class though. Like, yeah, and then you had World Trade's tag team. Um, I mean, Randy like, Orton was part of that class, I think. Yeah, I mean that, that that period, I was aware of what was going on. I just wasn't watching week to week, and um, and videos. The video stores where I would rent tapes from stopped bringing tapes in for whatever reason, so I didn't get to watch the pay per views. Um, and I really can't explain like why I phased out. And then phased back in just a couple years later. No, but that's kind of like, and I, that's what happened with me too, right? Like there'll be these periods that completely capture your attention, right? right? Like you either identify with a wrestler or you really love what's going on. And then there's just, it kind of peters out, right? right? And like, I've gone through two of those, right? Like, it's just like the eighties was awesome. And then it kind of the early eighties, what was it called? The new era? Can't remember. New generation. The new generation, yeah. When they started phasing out like Macho and Hogan and yeah. Warrior went away and I there was a couple guys in there that were alright. And then yeah, and then once it fired up and like when Brett became the guy and then Michael started coming into his own and like yeah. Undertaker wasn't just the zombie guy anymore. Like it got really good again. And from there to like two thousand two, three I was like right into it again. Like mm-hmm. I remember I went to a Raw and a SmackDown in Calgary and Edmonton and I was there when Lance did the super kick okay, to kick yeah. off the invasion, right? Because yeah. I remember it was in this last month he tweeted, he's like, on this day, however many years ago, I kicked off the invasion that yeah. went nowhere. But <laughs> no, but I totally get you on the whole like it catches you or yeah, whatever. Because like I was really interesting in high school and then kind of like grade 12 I wasn't as into it for whatever reason I think probably like right after the Benoit thing I kind of stepped back a little bit from wrestling but then I moved here and went yeah so grade 12 and then I did a year of community college up north as well and those two years I wasn't as into wrestling but then I moved here and I met wrestling fans for the first time because I didn't have any wrestling fans in high school I was talking to None of my friends watched wrestling, but I came down here and I found guys who I was watching Raw with every Monday night, and I just rekindled it again. Like, that's when, uh, 
John Cena was feuding with Randy Orton and Triple H and those guys, and Batista was kind of in and out. And it was more like the community of wrestling kind of brought me back into it. And uh, like if I didn't meet that group of friends, I probably wouldn't have started wrestling myself. Because it was like, boom, here's why I love wrestling. Wrestling's fucking awesome. I need to do this. If I don't do it now, I never will. So I took that semester off after two years of university here. And then... Uh, yeah, and then here we are. And, like, right now I'm not as into WWE cause, just because I don't have access to it. Like, I'm not going to pay 100 bucks for cable so I can watch Raw and SmackDown. Um, and then since I don't have cable, I don't have the network, so I don't watch the pay-per-views anymore. But, like, I still watch hours of wrestling every week, which, again, comes back to just having that content available. Yeah. And I can watch, you know, 90s wrestling all day on YouTube. I have the Ring of Honor uh, subscription package the honor club um, where I can watch all their house shows and their TV and stuff like that so I mean I still watch a ton of wrestling just not current WWE Raw and Smackdown who are the main guys in Ring of Honor right now uh, the world champion is Dalton Castle and then there's the, the bullet club guys Cody and Marty Skrull and the Young Bucks uh, the Briscoes, Jay Lethal is fucking phenomenal. Um, but I've been a big Ring of Honor fan for probably uh, probably like eight years. And when I first started watching it, it was like Davey Richard, Roderick Strong, Eddie Edwards, Michael Elgin. Kevin Steen? Yeah, Kevin Steen, Generico. Um, and that class has all moved on to mostly to WWE. Did you say Tyler Black? I didn't say Tyler Black, but yeah, he yeah. was in that that same group. So that would have been the batch after like your Brian Danielsons, your Samoa Joes, yeah, exactly. your CM Punks, yeah. those guys. No, and I remember. See, like I had friends. Then they were always the, like during the nineties. Those were the they watched EC. They never wanted to watch Vince's product, right, all, okay, but they yeah. loved wrestling, right? right? So they would always find their ways around it. So it was ECW for a long time, and then they became the Ring of Honor guys, right? And like. I would only see it if I was in passing with those guys and they were watching it. But yeah, like I remember seeing like Steen ages ago and like, like I said, Agile Big Man, right? Like yeah. super good. And it's just, it's so funny. Like it felt like Vince kind of plundered the territories in the eighties to make his, yeah what he had. And it feels like in this last few years, he's kind of plundered the super indies. Yeah, absolutely. Which I mean, that's what is is popular now other than him obviously because obviously WWE is number one no one's going to take them over anytime soon but with the with the internet and having access to everything you know those are the guys that are getting popular now outside of WWE so I mean like who are you going to what's the more viable option is going after these these stars on the indie scene who can clearly get over you know in all kinds of different territories or are you going to put the time in to build somebody in the performance center? And that's kind of the, not necessarily an issue NXT has, but when you have the undisputed era, you have Adam Cole and Roderick Strong, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, and uh, was it Aleister Black, and before that Finn Balor and Samoa Joe and Steen. It's like you have all these indie wrestling, international wrestling superstars who are you know at a level eight, nine, ten, and you're putting them against your performance center guys, who are you know three, four, five. 
and there's like a huge disconnect there um and kind of the only guys who have been able to combat that are like a velveteen dream is a really big deal right now and the women from nxt you know your, yeah. your four horse women your alexa bliss um and now nxt kind of has the issue of well now all our great women are gone how do we replace them because there's not that huge independent scene for women like there is for men you know yeah there's no answer to the undisputed era for for female wrestlers um because even if you watch ring of honor their women's wrestling is not awesome it's not the same standard as the men's wrestling is which is unfortunate because then they're viewed as inferior performers even though maybe within like an actual independent show if you put uh you know kelly klein versus brandy rhodes that's going to be your main event on like a high impact wrestling show maybe but in ring of honor it's the pre-show dark match that no one cares about yeah no fair enough and i remember i was watching this one thing with triple h and they were talking about the the women's movement right yeah and but they pretty much plundered nxt right and i remember him saying like he wanted to keep one person i remember at the time he was like leave me oscar right like right, I, yeah. I need somebody left because i guess she was supposed to be part of the launch too right sure. and he was like just can you leave me this one person <laughs> i feel like oscar kind of came in when the four horsemen went went went, went blah, 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 blah. after the four horsemen already went up because like she took the belt off bailey who took it off sasha who was already on the main roster when she lost it. yeah and then bailey went up right away Hmm. but yeah i remember helmsley saying like that was his one like yeah so maybe she was just coming in the door and like but i mean she was good enough she could have gone to the main roster right away like oscar's phenomenal um but yeah they had all those women go up and never really replaced them after that you had oscar obviously they had ember moon who was pretty good um the iconic duo were fantastic not great workers but i heard they went back down again Oh, I maybe I don't know. See, and that's the thing. Like, I don't have RAR. It's it's ironic. I have the network because I can plug it into my PS3, right, right yeah. and watch what I want. But I, I don't get Raw Smackdowns till they're a month old. And then why sure. do I want to watch it? Because then right, I've already yeah. watched the pay per view that comes after them. Yeah. So I'm pretty much living off of the internet and pay per views. Right. Yeah. Which does me fine, right? Sure. But that's all I get. Like I don't, and just with life, I don't have the time to keep up with like, I know nothing about Japan. Like, I know Jericho went over there for a match, but, like, my knowledge of it is, like, absolutely minimal. Right. I'm like you. I've tried watching Lucha Underground, but there's other things I'd rather watch with yeah. my spare time. Like, I'm a huge fan of Vampiro, and he was probably my favorite guy when they did the whole New Blood thing at the end of WCW. But it's just, like, I don't know. Like, and I like the little warehouse vibe that they had going on. Like, I tried watching season one again, like, within the last month. Right. right? And, like, you know the people, like... I think we had Conan here right when I first met you. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so he's on there and like, you recognize some of them like Stryker, Chavo. Um, where's Johnny Morrison right now? Impact. Is he? Yeah. Okay. I always expected him to come back. Like he seems super marketable, right? So I don't know if right. he just absolutely burned every bridge with the Molina thing or, but. Oh, back to WWE, you mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think, I know he does like a lot of acting and stunt work in LA because Taya Valkyrie who he just got married to like on the weekend 
was the girl in my class. Oh, okay, cool. So, like, I have her on Facebook and stuff. So, like, I kind of know what's going on with, like, them as a couple. Okay. Um, not that I'm, like, a John Morrison stalker or anything like that. <laughs> but, like, I'm aware of, kind like, something is happening in his life. Yeah. Um, but, like, he does, like, a bunch of YouTube shorts, too. Have you ever seen, like, Bat in the Sun on YouTube? No. Uh, they do super, this show called Superhero Showdown where they take two characters from wherever and... Was that where he did Casey Jones? Yeah. I've seen that one. And he fought kick-ass. Yeah. Yeah. So he does stuff like that. I was... Yeah, and he would have been like the perfect Casey Jones, I think, in the real movie. Who did they end up getting? The guy from Arrow, right? Stephen Amell? He was all right, but like, yeah, like, I don't know, Morrison looked the role too. And he looks like a superhero. Like, what's he going by now? It can't be Johnny Mundo. I think it's Johnny Impact. (laughs) He just changes to the company. Basically, yeah. Because, yeah, he was Johnny Nitro, and he was introduced by... Eric Bischoff. Yeah. And he had the Nitro theme song. Oh, God. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and then uh, he was Johnny Nitro for a long time with Eminem, and then became John Morrison. Excuse me. And then he was John Morrison until he left, and then... Yeah, wherever he ended up, Johnny... Mundo. Johnny, inter- Johnny insert word here, depending on yeah. the setting, yeah. Because, yeah, for... Um... Lucha, he was Johnny Mundo or whatever. Okay, yeah. But he was one of their main upper tier guys, right? Right, yeah. I never made it to the end of the season. Like, I enjoy that it's, like, episodic. And, like like I said, I enjoy where there's, like, a slow burn and there's, a, like, stories going on in the background. Because, yeah. like, right now, how many pay-per-views are there for WWE in a year? A lot. Like, they just recombined that they're red and blue again. But, like, wasn't their ultimate vision, like, 24 pay-per-views a year? I think they, there are 14 right now think something like that see and like i don't know like i get they need content for their network now and yeah, that's a I think, lot of the i pressure. think it's every th- like three weeks they have a pay-per-view essentially see that's like i don't know i enjoyed when it was like wrestlemania royal rumble SummerSlam, survivor series and then like that mid spring king, king of the ring king of the ring was yeah. perfect for a while but then people got tired of the tournament right like I remember when WrestleMania 4 got announced, like, and I remember watching the two Hebner thing, and it was like, as a kid, it was like the most awesome thing ever. You're like, in one night, you get to watch all these super cool guys have a tournament. Right. But now the tournament thing's kind of been like, done, right? Like, sure. I mean, I can't speak to the 80s, obviously, but with the 90s, I grew up with, with the In Your House era, where they did a pay-per-view every month in WWF and in WCW. So I was getting 24 yeah. a year as a kid. Yeah, granted, you weren't watching ECW. Granted, so. two different companies, yeah. but you're still getting a pay-per-view every two weeks. And then when I was in high school and college, TNA was doing the same thing. So, they were a pay-per-view base like as a show to start, weren't they? Yeah, they were every Wednesday, whatever, 10 bucks. Yeah. 10 bucks a week. Um, but then they got the Spike TV deal and started doing like a few pay-per-views a year. And eventually was doing one every month. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when it was the full-on 90s war. It was getting to be a bit too much. And then it was like, there was some, you knew they were going to be bad, like sold out or like sure. slambery. Like you just, you weren't invested in them, right? Like, right. like we just turned off Mayhem. Like if that was just, if it wasn't in Canada, like it would have been a whatever pay-per-view, right? Like I don't know. I mean, you, it's all about having a hook, right? So right now you have Mania, the Rumble... Um, SummerSlam Survivor Series to a lesser extent and then like Money in the Bank's kind of getting that upper echelon of a yeah. of an event now um, 
but they all have their hook. I mean, like, Mania is Mania. SummerSlam is, like, Mania Junior. Like, they're kind of building, like, a whole... Like, they have access now for SummerSlam. And they have the TakeOver event. And it feels like one is an East Coast event and one's a West Coast. Like, SummerSlam seems to always get, like, the Los Angeles, California, like, bright sun. But, yeah. They've they've done Brooklyn the last couple years, but, yeah. Oh, did they? Yeah. Hmm. Um, And then, like, the Rumble, obviously, has the Rumble match. Yeah. And Survivor Series... At least you used to have like all the Survivor Series matches. Money in the Bank has the Money in the Bank match, which has huge implications anywhere from like that night to the next year. Yeah. Um, so the trick then is find is getting a hook for those second tier shows. You know, whatever, whatever, what do they have now? Payback or Backlash, whatever they're called nowadays. Yeah. Um, is getting a hook, and usually that's like a main event. Extreme Rules for a few years there was the throwback to the old ECW days because everything that night had like tables, ladders, chairs, something, right? Yeah, exactly. But if we want to use Mayhem as an example here, wasn't a big WCW pay-per-view, but had the the tournament for the world title. There's your hook. You know, if you you give something for those lesser shows, you're not going to get meanie numbers, but you'll get numbers yeah but I mean it's all moot now because the network is the network and it's not pay-per-view anymore so you have your subscription base which is gonna spike at Wrestlemania and then basically be the same again until the rumble yeah so I mean it's you don't need those hooks it's just content and wrestling fans want content doesn't always matter if it's good or not you know like in order for me to keep up on Raw and SmackDown, I listen to a podcast every week that reviews Raw on Tuesday morning and reviews SmackDown on Wednesday morning. Um, and that's how I keep up. And they never really have anything good to say, but they still review it every week, you know? Uh, like, And they do like the, the fan polls, and these shows are bringing in like a 4 out of 10 rating from the fans of the show. But and yet they're coming back every week. Exactly. And it's... It's weird, like wrestling fans, people always say it, wrestling fans are creatures of habit. That's why Raw has been on Monday night for the last 25 years. Yeah. But every once in a while there's those gems, right? Like I had to, like, it probably is a few months ago now, they had that gauntlet match where Seth Rollins wrestled for like 90 minutes, right? And then that's something you go and seek out, but it feels like they're few and far between, right? Like, Yeah, and it's it's just the nature of the beast too, you know? Like, you have three hours of Raw every Monday, two hours of SmackDown every Tuesday, NXTs on Wednesday, main events on whatever yep. Thursday, and then your pay-per-view every three, every two or three weeks. Do you think SmackDown can position themselves to pass Raw now that they're on Fox? Because that's a huge network for... Yeah, I mean, that's not happening for another year or two, but... Well, I thought it was in the next while. I think it's like a year away still. Oh, okay. 2019, I think, is when it's happening. Because that's... I remember they always used to switch back and forth like Raw back in the day it was like the Nashville network and then it was the USA network and then whatever Nashville network became what Spike TV yeah. or like I think it was USA and then TNN slash Spike and then back to USA I mean yeah. don't jump around that much um, it didn't matter up here because it was always on TSN right, right but, yeah now it's the score yeah or Sportsnet 360 I guess yeah. but I think Vince owns a piece of the score I think I, we talked about this before. <laughs> I, I can't confirm or deny. I don't know. I think, yeah, whenever... I thought he bought a part of the score whatever year it was that What's-Her-Name became Renee Young and moved up. 
Yeah, I, I can't confirm or deny that. <laughs> so how much do you watch then in a month then? Like how much wrestling or how much yeah. current WWE? How, just wrestling in general. Oh. I mean, I probably watch like five, six hours a week. That's still pretty good. Yeah. I think Raw would do itself better if it went back to two hours, but... It's never going to happen. If someone's going to pay for three, then why yeah, not? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like at this point, WWE has never been more profitable. They're not going to change what they're doing right now. They don't need to. The only time they'll like drastically change is if, you know, some, somehow out of nowhere, Cody Rhodes and All In become a, a, thing. a national weekly television show and start taking viewers away from Raw. But until then, nothing will change. It doesn't need to. Yeah. And even like, I remember hearing Jericho say that like when he told Vince about him going to wrestle Kenny, he was, Vince was like, okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, he's still a fan to a point, I guess. Like, and I think it does him better. Like it was nice. Like in the old territory days, like someone would come around for a while. They'd be a big deal. They'd have somewhere else to go and be a big deal. And this is pre internet, pre everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was so convenient because you could work the territories. Right. Right. And come in, go away a couple of years later or whatever, come back. Oh, my God, it's him again. And you become a big deal again. Right. And I think it's hard to keep that like, um, I don't know, like to stay important. Like um, my biggest example, I think, is someone like Dolph Ziggler. Like he's good. Yeah. But he's always just going to be like that. Like he had his shot and he got hurt. And I don't know if they trust him or if he's just trying like he just can't get there again but he resigned right for two more years and i'm like that's a guy i think that would do him well to like just go away i mean cody rhodes is your biggest most recent example yeah he was stardust and he wasn't happy so we left and now look at him and there's and then drew mcintyre did the same thing he left got awesome came back and now he's a big deal was a big deal in nxt and i think he's gonna push on raw right now too some do work, some don't. Like, um, but that's true. Like you said, McIntyre, because he was part of 3MB, right? Yeah. And look what happens. Like, then you have Slater, who he's like your. Um, why can't I think of his name right now? Um, Ron Killings. Um, Our Truth. Yeah, Our Truth. He's had too many names. Um, but like, there's those guys that seem to be okay being like this kind of like, I'm there constantly. But and then like once every two years something big happens like right you're going along you're there I'm sure the pay's okay but then yeah. little Jimmy happens or then a couple of years later they put you with the Miz and it just seems like right. I think there's um it's all about expectation and desire like once you reach that certain point like let's use Heath Slater he's not gonna go any higher than he is right now he had his big run with Rhino when they were the tag champions and he's probably not gonna elevate any higher than where he's at right now now I guess his two options are you know hang out where he is be on TV every few weeks uh, get a decent paycheck you're still wrestling full time you're earning money wrestling um, you're seeing the world you're seeing the world you're you're in WWE which to a lot of guys just means everything he so that's his option he could just stay where he is and just like coast basically or he could leave and try to make a name for himself on the indies and be more creatively fulfilled. 
and that's what Cody Rhodes did. Mm-hmm. He he didn't want to coast anymore. He left, and he's just doing insane right now, and like creatively fulfilled. Ryback's the same. He said he was super happy to not be there anymore because he got a back injury, and he left so that he could continue to wrestle and now he gets to travel and work his own schedule and all that if he hurts himself he isn't obliged to go back out there right so i think it's just like not everyone is going to be john cena yeah i'm just surprised more people don't drop sooner and but i guess the indies have just gotten like it's this resurgence right like it's super strong again like but again it's like all the guys who are there now grew up on wrestling. Yeah. And their dream was to be in WWE. And so if they're there, do they want to give that up even though they are at a level and probably won't go any higher? You know? Like it's... You're making a comfortable living. Let's say you're bringing home 60 grand a year and you can live comfortably. You can have a lifestyle that you want and you're traveling and wrestling and maybe maybe you're not with a world champion but you're wrestling full-time and making a living doing that. Yeah. You know? I think at one point, and this was a few years ago, I think I heard that the base salary was like $75,000 a year, and then plus whatever you can get for merch. So, like, yeah. come up with some cool t-shirt ideas or whatever, yeah. or get over and sell some stuff, right? Like, I remember when the show was in town here, you said they had run out of all the sizes for everything you wanted. No, they ran out of extra-large everything. Was it everything? Yeah, I went up. I was like, "Can I get an extra large Seth Rollins shirt?" And they're like, "No, we're out of extra large." I was like, "Oh, okay. What shirts do you have left?" Like, "No, we're out of extra large." I was like, "Motherfucker, <laughs> you came to fucking middle of Canada. We're fat here, okay?" The bread basket. <laughs> like, this is not hipster Vancouver where we're all skinny, okay? We're fucking cornbread huskers. <laughs> uh, I took a couple of my friends to that. One of my friends moved here and he's in HR with the government he's from Nigeria yeah and um huge wrestling fan yeah you, you talked about one of your previous episodes yeah and it's just it's awesome but I took, you have something on your desk and you saw it I have my original is it LJN that made all the rubber wrestlers yeah yeah I had Macho Man like oh, the, okay yeah sitting on my desk I and like that, how you show me the double flex but no one listening can see that only you can see it that's good radio too bad <laughs> <laughs> they're not missing a thing um but yeah, he saw that and it's like, it's awesome because now I have this one guy in the office and we just chat wrestling constantly. Sure. But we always chat like, because he's my age, right? right so yeah. we totally chat like 80s, 90s stuff, right? And his, he's more like you, like he's like, I, the stat, like, I don't know. I remember seeing it, but I never, but he's like you, he has, the, he knows the years, he knows the matches, he knows like everything, like he's like a stats guy right and so like he would have been like you he would have been like no that was this summer slam where this and this happened and this right, and this yeah, like yeah. i remember the matches and everything kind of blurs together for sure. me but yeah he's like and his knowledge is insane right and i'm like i don't know i'm dumbfounded that someone like all the way around the world right has such a like an impeccable wwe knowledge right right and it's so cool to like just sit with him and chat and stuff like that just like we have today um We've hit my 90 minutes. Okay. That's generally what I hold people hostage for. Sure. Um, I totally appreciate you coming out in the middle of two thunderstorms back to back, I think. Uh, the sun's out. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Saskatchewan. Cool. Um, anything you want to pimp? Your YouTube channel? Yeah. Or... Uh, YouTube.com slash Bevan Boychuk. 
B-E-V-A-N-B-O-Y-C-H-U-K. New videos every Monday, except for today, Monday, because I'm here doing this show. And I was traveling yesterday, so no video this week. Um, and you wrestle as? I wrestle as the Invincible Brett Evans. Uh, Pro Brett Evans on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Evan Boychuk on Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, I don't know. I do stuff. <laughs> Check him out. Um, part of our friendship is I enjoy his style a lot. Um, for independent, I think you and Bucky are easily. He's a big favorites. fan of my current white collared t-shirts that I'm wearing. <laughs> we have day jobs, got bills. It's true. Awesome. Thanks for coming out. Thank you for having me.